Welcome to Three Boys in a Bar, your weekly film and whiskey review podcast. Join us each week as we review a film and a whiskey. You can follow us on Instagram at Three Boys in a Bar, or send us an email with your own film reviews and whiskey recommendations. Three Boys in a Bar at gmail.com. Now, let's get into this week's episode. Hey, everybody, welcome to Three Boys in a Bar the show that reviews whiskeys and talks about excellent movies. I'm joined today by Marco. Hey, hey. Hey, guys. How is everything going? And Will. Hello. Yeah, good. That's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're all just kind of coming alive after another week of lockdown here in Melbourne. Yes, we will. We will visit that bar eventually. Into what is already now, I think, our 21st episode, Will? Happy 21st, everyone. Correct. Oh, oh we're... We are legally able to drink in America if you count it in weeks. <laughs> and um, before we before we get started on our on our movie to, for tonight, um, Marco, I see that you are you are on whiskey duty this week. What are you going to review? I am reviewing the Roe and Co. Irish whiskey from Dublin. Now, it's a blended whiskey, but um, yeah, I'll be sipping on that and give my review a bit later. Very nice. Well, I believe you are on. You're on movie duties this week. Um, so tell us all about Enola Holmes. Yeah, thanks, Tom. So this week we watched Enola Holmes, which has just been released on Netflix. And guys, it's a film that is pretty much what every family probably needs right now. A little bit of escapism, escapist fun in an otherwise bleak world. Uh, so Enola Holmes is based on the first book of a six-book series by Nancy Springer, which imagines that the famous Sherlock Holmes and his brother Mycroft have a younger sister who, up until her 16th birthday, remains out of sight and out of mind, being raised in an English countryside house by their mother, Adoria Holmes. Billy Bobby Brown of Stranger Things fame stars as Enola, and she wakes up on her 16th birthday to find that her mother, played by Helen Bonham Carter, has disappeared. What then ensues is a twofold mystery, the first being Enola's attempt to find her mother, with the occasional assistance and more often hindrance of the other home siblings, and a second mystery which involves the plot to murder a young aristocrat who Enola meets by chance on her way to London. Boys, this is a pretty super fun, light-hearted romp of a film, but it's really all about Millie Bobby Brown. Her direct-to-camera address brings the audience right into her world, and her comic timing and independent spirit really shines through and largely carries this film. It's definitely worth noting that this independent female spirit is really at the heart of the movie uh, of this movie's message and is on display in most of the female characters in one way or the other. The movie also somewhat loosely has a historical setting that also complements this theme by tying in various beginnings of the suffragette movement. So the movie runs a hair over two hours and occasionally falls victim, I think, to its slightly convoluted weaving plot lines, needing all of this time to tie in the pieces together, perhaps somewhat pushing the limits of a family-friendly film runtime. And for me, at times, it felt a little laggy in places. That said, I think Brown's performance, along with some pretty solid performances from some of the other actors... Familiar faces include Henry Cavill. And there's a great performance by Fiona Shaw as Miss Harrison. There's a pretty evil turn by Bern Gorman as Linthorne, the bad guy. And of course, Helen Bonham Carter, who I think is also underutilized, but is there and it's great. 
And so all these players kind of means the action kicks along pretty well. This is directed by Harry Bradbeer of Fleabag fame. And he's done a pretty good job with the actors. Technically, this film also ticks all the boxes. You know, the editing, the scores, the cinematography is pretty much what an audience should expect. Probably the best things here to shout out would be the period costumes, the fun title sequences at the beginning and the end of the film, as well as the aforementioned direct address advice used throughout. So visually, I think there's a lot there to keep a younger audience entertained. And overall, it's a pretty highly polished film. But overall, Enola Holmes didn't really blow my socks off. And I think I would have enjoyed it more watching it with my 10-year-old niece, who I have no doubt will love it. So I'm sure this movie will do well with families and with that broad demographic of audience, I would say this is a big recommendation. But for me, I'm a bit on the fence with it. And that's really where I'm going to leave my review. Boys, I'm going to leave it up to you. Who wants to go first? Well, I think I'm going to have to throw my hat into the ring because I I agree with you in a lot of points, Will. I think that this film is certainly not meant for our demographic. It is clearly, like, first and foremost for a largely female audience and a younger female audience to give younger girls a role model. And I think Millie Bobby Brown absolutely does that in this film. I don't think the film itself really is of great value apart from that, though, unfortunately. I think it is a little bit of a convoluted mess with the amount of subplots and plots that it tries to fit into its... Was that, I think it's over just over two hours, isn't it, runtime? Yeah, about two hours, four minutes, yeah. yeah. Which, even though they fit so much stuff into it, it still feels bloated and slow and everything... Every Like every possible thing you can think of. I mean, the opening is unfortunately very slow. And I agree with you in saying Helena Botham Carter is completely underutilized in this in her role in this film because we only ever see her through flashbacks apart from later in the film. And I think that that's a really missed opportunity. I mean, her the whole plot of the film in the start is that Enola needs to find her mother but we never get any emotional connection to the mother. We only get what Enola tells us directly to camera her relationship with her mother is. And I think that that's not a good way to establish a character, especially not a character with as good as acting chops behind it as Helena Botham Carter. So right from the get-go, that sort of put a bit of a sour note in my viewing of the film once I realised that, how important that character was going to be. But um, other other than that, Millie Bobby Brown's performance is great. I think she was really good in carrying this film and both the lightheartedness and also the the serious undertones that it was trying to to bring through. I thought she played quite well and was quite well supported, I think, by um, Lewis Patridge as Tewksbury as well as Henry Cavill playing Sherlock. All that said, I think, unfortunately... Anola does come across as a bit of a Mary Sue for me. She's she self-proclaimed basically being perfect directly to us, the audience, in addresses to camera. And as far as I read the film, she didn't really show many moments of deductive reasoning that make the the, the home's name so important. So for me, I was actually very disappointed with that. I mean, I'm a big fan of, like, I, I enjoyed the Guy Ritchie, Sherlock Holmes films. I know they're a little bit out there in terms of Sherlock mythos. 
And I really like Benedict Cumberbatch as Sherlock Holmes. And I think that just taking the name, there comes a there comes a point where you need you expect something from someone of that name. And I expected more from Anola as a character. Dom. Thanks, Marco, and thanks, Will, for recommending it this week. Uh, look, I'm not. My view is not too different from what you guys what you guys thought about this film. Uh, my view is that this film was is really at the end of the day, a, just it's fun. It's fun. It's fun and whimsical. Um, this is definitely like the sort of movie for kids. And I think Millie Bobby Brown just nails it in her role as Anola Holmes. She's, uh, you know, she's both witty. She's delightful. Uh, she's so good at giving facial cues to the camera and sending that message across without saying anything. Like, she's just a really talented actress. So she's going to go far, 100%. I thought she, I thought her performance was the best. I thought Henry Cavill did an excellent job um, as Sherlock Holmes. I thought Sam Claflin's role as Mycroft, the older brother, was a little bit ham-fisted. It was a bit, it was a bit stereotyped as, the, as one of the villains of this story, I guess. There, you know, he was, he was just a, evil, but there wasn't a lot of nuance to that, which was unfortunate. I agree with you guys entirely. Helena Bonham Carter was um, underutilized in this film. Um, and, I think, and I think one of the big issues, and I think you've raised it already, is that this, this script, you know what it kind of made me think of? It made me think of that this, this film was like a pilot for a TV series. <laughs> You're setting up a, like yes. a main plot, but you have to have like, you have to have like a little crime procedural in it any, like in the meantime to sort of, because that's going to be the formula of your series. And that's what I kind of felt I got out of this. Like it, the film actually started about um, Anola Holmes going to find, trying to find her mum. And then halfway through the movie, it's like, nope, that's not the story anymore. And I thought that that was just, at the end of the day, you kind of like, you've got, you're just, um, you just find yourself having all these subplots, not really knowing which is the main plot. And it, unfortunately, it does mean that um, the writer, Jack Thorne, who I believe also wrote Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, was he, they just had to draw shortcuts at the end. And unfortunately, I thought that, I thought the, um, uh, the ending of the film was not entirely satisfactory. So the re- the problems with this film were predominantly script, I thought. Um, but I think they had, they felt like the need to really sort of build up this world and to set up for sequels. Cause there's, as you said, well, this is a six book series and there's still five more to go if they want to go down that road. The other thing I thought as well is that being a family film, it's really important to be able to make a film and, and with adults as well. And I think this, and I think this idea of you know female empowerment is still is you know an important theme. But I, I did find I did grapple a little bit with how I thought that story was a little bit too serious. I mean, to try and engage to get to engage um, adults in this, there needed to be something a little bit more lighthearted. I felt um, I understand where this is coming from and what this film is about. So I'm not I'm not saying it was a I, I still think it was an important theme, and I and I and I did like I did like the, that idea about an old home being an independent woman, and that was fine. But I just did I did feel like tonally there was just an imbalance with the film, and I think again that just comes down to the subplots and how this was all scripted. Otherwise, technically, it was it was the film I thought was was fine. I thought um, Daniel Pemberton's score was really fun, and really lovely, lovely score. I thought the production design by Michael. Carlin was especially good. Those interior sets were really beautiful. And I love the treehouse of um, Viscount Tewkesbury played by Lewis Hart Partridge. That was really, that was really inventive and fun. And like you said, guys, this is, this film is just meant to be a bit of fun, uh, to be taken too seriously. But I would say, I think there have been some, there have been other family films that have probably done this better. But I reckon, you know, give it a, give it the next sequel. 
now that they've laid the groundwork, this could be a franchise with some staying power. So see where it goes. Yeah. Did you feel like the, the ending was setting that up? What do you guys think? Absolutely. There, yeah. there is no doubt in my mind. I mean, I'm pretty sure it was only in the last 10 or 15 minutes that you get any resolution. And if you can even call it that, there is no doubt that Plotline is sequel baked. The issue that I have with that is that it was touted as the main plot for most of the film and then was just dropped in favour of something else, which I think you can have an overarching plot across several films as, I mean, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe has clearly shown. But to have what is supposed to be your main plot be the main plot of your franchise, not your film is just not on. And I didn't appreciate that as a viewer. But otherwise, I thought the way the film was made, like all the, the every time she broke the fourth wall and spoke with the camera was was always really fun. Um, especially there's a particular scene where she's actually buying her corset and that was actually a really fun scene when she's sort of mimicking um, her older brothers. You know, like it was a really great, it was a really great bout, like mix of um, Enola Holmes as, as a character clearly has as some wit, is driven, very ambitious, which is real great. You love that in a protagonist. Um, but she's also a little bit naive, also has a little bit of fun. Like, it was, she's a, just an immensely likeable character, which is why you were saying before, Marco, about how, you know, there was, some, there was just some issues about the mystery. I agree. I think there were some issues with that, and especially how it came to its conclusion. In terms of, like, how that affects her as a character, I think it's more like, you know, she's going to, as a character, she's going to grow as the se- sequel by sequel and she's going to have more experiences. And and I think, and it's a bit like Harry Potter, like as you read each ne- the next book, you sort of feel like you're growing up with the protagonist. Mm. Um, so, which, yeah. Which I think is definitely where it comes back to the fact that we are definitely not the target audience of this. I mean, I, I personally have never read the books. I personally didn't even know that they were a book series before this. Whereas I feel like this is like the female, this could be the female Harry Potter. To have that as a kid growing up, I think is is incredibly important. And if if it has the legs to go the distance, then I, it could be the same. And I hope yeah. that it is. Yeah. I mean, I haven't read the books, but one thing that strikes me as a difference between Harry Potter and, and this as a series potentially is Harry Potter, and I don't know who, which one of you said it, but we sort of grew up with them or you grow up with Harry as he gets older. Whereas at least in this first iteration of Enola Holmes, I felt like we arrive on her 16th birthday and yet there wasn't a sense of it being a coming of age story. So, you know, the stakes of finding her mother, they don't seem that high being pulled away from living her Mm -hmm. own independent life seemed much higher than, than actually needing to find her mom. So all the things that she had to kind of go through to develop, I, I didn't get a sense that it was that same dramatic coming of age thing that you really get from Harry Potter. And I wondered whether that's a missed opportunity here. I didn't mean to say it as a coming of age. I'm just saying that, you know, she's going to develop as a character and she, mm. she does mm. still have, a, she, still, she still has some growing up to do. I think that's but, yeah, where the story is yeah. going to go. Well, the, the, like I, I think there's one thing with this film that always kind of bugged me a little bit is the fact that she's slotted into society incredibly easily 
for somebody that by all accounts has literally only ever had the company of her mother. And I think that that, that in it in of itself kind of confused me a little bit because someone you, you show like one moment of her getting into London and seeing all these things for that. And then she loses her mind, but that's it. And then she's suddenly buying corsets and wearing the thing and being living by herself in a flat. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I just, uh, yeah, I felt like that was a little bit of a, a jump. Kids. The moral of this film is you have, if you, as long as you have so much money, the world's yours <laughs> and you can do whatever you want. <laughs> Where, where's the <laughs> where's the lie? <laughs> That's true, actually. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that that played a really big part in her being able to to do everything that she did. Just this kind of endless seam of money. <laughs> well, she she never really struggled for anything. I mean, it wasn't. Everything was an intellectual struggle or a deductive struggle Emotional. rather than rather than actually yeah, she didn't have to fight for anything tangible. But yeah, I mean maybe I, I don't know the rating, but I'm guessing it's a PG, right? So yeah, like how much can you really really show? I mean you can still give her stakes other than oh my mum's disappeared, I'd better go find her. Yeah, what was, what was the, where, yeah, I know, what was the, um, we weren't really, we couldn't, the audience doesn't really appreciate the weight of her going missing to make this, to make it the story worth the journey that Enola Holmes ultimately goes on. Which is because we only ever saw the mother through flashback. We, we as the audience never got an emotional connection with the mother to feel the same way as Enola did about losing her. And I think that that's actually where this film fails the most. I mean, I'd maybe other people will see it differently, but the her drive to find her mother is not instilled in us as an audience, and I think that that's just not a good way to tell a story. Well, I agree that we don't see enough of her, but I'm, I wonder whether it's a, it's another step further than that. In there's never any question that she's disappeared of her own accord, so the mystery really is why did she go and where is she? So there's no mortal danger that, so the stakes, even in that it's like, okay, she wanted to leave, but why? And she wasn't kidnapped. So even in the writing, there's not a lot at stake uh, unless Mm. there's an emotional connection. And and maybe you are right, Marco, that, Mm. that because there wasn't a, that developed the loss wasn't, felt as much but you know if if it had been clearly she's been kidnapped you know her life might be in danger automatically there's a life and death scenario at work whereas this was a bit more like okay she's gone but we don't know where and i don't think mm. she's in trouble but we also don't know so it, it, it's a bit beige I, I think that's the perfect description is beige uh, like uh, the stakes aren't there I mean, if Enola finds her mother or not, it doesn't actually really affect a whole lot of stuff because she's gone off away from Mycroft anyway. I mean, she's got all this money, she could disappear. She doesn't need to be put under Mycroft's thumb and sent to this finishing school and all that sort of thing, which she clearly doesn't want to do and through the course of the film clearly doesn't need to do. But 
there's no there's no stakes. There are no stakes for most of this film, at least for Enola specifically as a character. Yeah, I I, I think you're right, Marco. There, I think you've hit the nail on the head. There's just there's just something. I mean, it has all the elements there, but there's just something about the film that makes you feel empty. It's yeah. I, I think. Look, I think. Um. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Well, it's a, it's just over two hours that will enjoy entertain the younger audience, but. Like, like you said, Tom, it's not going to keep the adult audience engaged throughout the film, which I think there's a lot of there's a lot of argument for these films where they are designed for a younger audience, but there has to be a more mature through thread there so that the parents that are watching the film have something to watch as well. No, Maybe look, that's I, I... why they put Henry Cavill in there so everyone could stare at his giant muscles. <laughs> he kept it. He, he definitely tried to keep them hidden. <laughs> yeah, all all covered by like trench coats and <laughs> eight times the size of everyone else. Though like, he's walking around like a quarterback. I gotta say though, I've gotta say I I really liked Henry Henry Cavill's performance in this. Like it wasn't um, overstated. Um, but like you know, being I think Jack Thorne wrote Sherlock Holmes very well in this. Um, he, he didn't, um, he didn't dominate the story, but when he, when he was in the scene, he clearly had an impact whether on, whether on Enola Holmes or just on everyone around him because of his brilliance. I thought it was actually, he was a great character and yeah. And thankfully, um, Sherlock Holmes wasn't made front and center, the centerpiece of his whole film, which would have undermined Enola Holmes and this movie. I think they had the right, I think, I think they had the right ideas here. But I think, yeah, in terms of like this being a family film, I just think I thought it was still fun and accessible for adults. I just the suffragette movement is probably not the thing that gets um, that engages adults. Um, still an important theme, but and definitely nice, a good backdrop to reflect on Anola's sort of journey as a as a woman and as she sort of wants to be independent. But I'm not sure whether that's the kind of thing that you have to throw in there to sort of make adults appreciate this film. Well, I I, I think that. There's no issue with throwing in the suffragette movement in this film as a topical piece and a discussion for adults, but they just never explored it. They're just like, oh, yep, we're going to, like, the lords are going to vote whether women get the vote. And that was it. We're just sort of supposed to accept that as whatever. There was no, there were no stakes. Just like I said before, there's no stakes. I mean, if in, in the context of this film, if women get the vote or if they don't get the vote, what matters? It doesn't really matter to Enola because she can't really vote at the moment anyway and she doesn't seem to have any major interest in changing London society. Well, she's I mean, so independent, she's almost outside of it. it exactly. I mean, whether whether she gets to, like, I feel like Enola as a character wouldn't vote even if she had the vote purely because she wouldn't, she's above that. You guys are so. She was. Ba- she's basically Beyonce before bon- Beyonce existed. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're absolutely right, though, because the whole whole story with her was having to go to London and um, actually experience what life is like outside of her home for the first time, and it's incredibly daunting. So why is this um, plot in the background so important to her? That's an ex- yeah, yeah, yeah. It's and, and the tr- and the truth is, it's not. I mean, it's completely incidental. I mean, the fact that the the marquee marquee happens to be a also sixteen year old attractive boy that she finds interesting and saves 
the the fact that he's going to vote for the suffragettes is immaterial because that's not why she saves him. I think that if there's one thing this film needed, it was actually a little bit more banter between Millie Bobby Brown and Louis Partridge. I felt like it, I felt like with the time they had, there wasn't a lot of wasn't enough writing to really explore those characters. But there could have been a little bit more of that, and I actually think that was that was that was the, that was part, actually the strongest part of the film. Maybe just needed a bit more of it. Yeah, that relationship I felt was the strongest relationship in the film, but I didn't know whether they were really trying to avoid going into either cliche territory. I mean, they they did throw an element of romanticism in there, but I was. I was curious whether they would go further down there because if that were to occur, perhaps that sort of independent spirit of Enola possibly is lost, you know, because that dynamic of having a man and uh, any kind of romantic development potentially dilutes that, that fiery independent spirit in there. So I wondered whether they deliberately didn't go down that route because of it. Like, the the way I read it was more that the these young people have only just met and while the passions might be developing, by the end of the film, we're not expecting that they're actually going into a romantic relationship. So, like, if there is a sequel, I don't expect them to be together. No. Which I think is that's the mature way to tell that story because of Hollywood and films in general have shown us that having the re- the romantic relationship come to a head right at the end of the film is kind of what's expected, but it's not reality. I mean, I, I recently rewatched Atlantis, The Lost Empire, which is probably one of my favourite Disney films. And at the end of the film, the main characters are not together. I mean, the the main character and the female main character are not together. They don't share a kiss. It's just an emotional moment. And it's not until well after the film has finished that they eventually get together. And I think that that's really important that the goal is not to end up with someone. It's someone to stay with you on the journey. And I think that that's what Enola Holmes does right. And they set up the fact that there is clearly a relationship that's developed between these two characters, but it's not going to turn romantic like that if anything, for the sake of the story. If anything, he's actually going to be a useful character in sequels because as a politician, he's going to give her access to the events and the parties and the people she needs to, you know, interview for her future cases. Not having read the books, of course, but like beyond that, there's definitely like, yeah, I think the relationship can definitely grow. Well, boys, I think this has been a really good conversation. I think it's time for us to now turn to the Whiskey Corner. Marco, do you want to tell us a bit more about the Rowan Co? How's it going? Look, I feel like I've been talking for a long time, but it's it's uh, my turn rather than yours, Will. So, look, the- I've been well behaved. <laughs> <laughs> There's still time, but I've been well behaved. It's like, we'll, we'll let you pontificate next week. If you want to edit this bad boy, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so like I said at the start of the podcast, I'm reviewing the Rowan Co. Irish Whiskey from Dublin. It is a blended Irish whiskey. They say that it, the nose should be creamy, delightful, and fragrant. Fragrant. 
And I do actually get a lot of that creaminess, not the fragrant side of things more, but it does have like a almost like an ice creamy creaminess on the nose. What flavor ice cream? Neapolitan, chocolate chip, boysberry. Look, I, I think it's definitely a bit of vanilla ice cream. Classic vanilla. <laughs> Classic vanilla. I mean, like. But vanilla bean, oh, does it have the little flecks of it? Oh, I'll just shut up. Where there's a will, there's a way, isn't there, Will? Which is just too easy to, to thank you. <laughs> it's, like, it's like my sport of choice. Mm. Well, like I said, very beautifully ice creamy on the nose. It does have a nice little bit of spiciness through, like, through the palate, which I, I'm actually quite enjoying. It's quite smooth. It's not harsh at any point. I mean, it is... 45% AVB, which is like, which is not massive for a whiskey, but it's uh, more than others that we've done. But it doesn't have a harshness to it, which is beautiful. Hmm. Yeah, the, the, this Rowan Co. whiskey is absolutely drinkable to the end. It is smooth. It is, for a blended, it is actually very nice from start to finish. Uh, I, I actually would say I highly recommend this as a blended whiskey. So once again, that is the Rowan Co. Irish Dublin blended whiskey. And I'm enjoying this very much. Thanks, Marco. So kids, if you love this movie, then you'd love this middle ice cream flavored whiskey. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't know where to... If if you are old enough to drink in your country that you're listening to... (laughs) Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, boy. It's time to get serious because we're now at scoring time. Will, take us, lead us on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So I'm giving the story... A two and a half for all the reasons we've discussed. I'm giving the performances a three and a half. I kind of wish I could do Millie Bobby Brown separate from everyone else. Not that everyone else sucks, but she's particularly good in it. Direction a three and the technical a three. So that gives me a 12. Thanks, Will. Marco? Look, I'm not too far off Will in this. Uh, I gave Story a two. I, I thought it left a lot to be desired, even though the plot points were definitely there, but it just wasn't crafted in a, in an entertaining and driving way. Uh, Direction gave a three. I thought the whole package was well done from the performances and the design, the cinematography, all that stuff. Um, performances gave a three. Same as well. Millie Bobby Brown does a really good job as an alarms and is well supported by other people, but not quite as a whole. The film is not more than a three. Uh, technical, I gave a four. I thought the cinematography was great. I thought the score was great. And yes, that gives me a 12. Thanks, Marco. Well, I'm not too far from you guys either. I gave writing a two and a half. I thought the scripts just needed a bit 
it just needed a bit less in there. Um, um, it was just too too much going on. I felt um, the acting three and a half Millie Bobby Brown standout performance. Um, she was excellent. Um, technical, I gave a three and a half. I really enjoyed the score. I thought it was really fun, um, and I love the sets. And you know, I, it really did. And and I also just like the location scouting, like. All that the, the countryside in England was just so beautiful and I loved it. It just took me away. So I, I, I gotta say, just on the technical side, I loved it. Um the direction I gave a three and a half. Um I think the script could have done some more work, but I did think he gave he um got some good performances um out of his actors. Sam Claflin, I, I've you've noted I've noted that um what I thought of his performance. Um I do think that was actually more attributed to the script that he was given and what he had to work with. Um, so overall, I'm giving that a 13, which is Yakko. That's backwards for okay. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, you can, t- you can delete well, that got, if you like. I've got the hashtag. No, hashtag <laughs> in. You, can't, you can't be throwing stuff like that out there and not expect it to be in. Yakko, that's going to be the hashtag. That's going to be right at the front of our socials. Look, I, I think across the board, that's that is a watch from us with caveats. Is that? Oh yeah, I just want to. I just yeah, my ten year old niece would dig it, and I think my watching my appreciation of the film would actually increase by watching it with somebody of her age who's going to really, really love it. So no, no, big, big watch. But you know, for three single blokes, you know, uh, I'm a little older than you guys, but you know, uh, our demographic is not the is not is not what they were going for. I don't think. No, we are, we are clearly not the target audiences for this, but I think this is a film that will entertain and inspire the target audience. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think if we'd been in a cinema and seen this, it, would have, it might have been a different experience. But unfortunately, it's, it's on our laptops in, a, in isolation. So it's possibly, <laughs> it's possibly something lost. <laughs> I think I would have been streaming John Wick on the side if I just <laughs> I'd be like, I'm in the cinema with my knit. Nah, no, 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 no. Okay. Um, well, I believe it's Marco's turn on movies next week. So, Marco, what are we going to watch? Look, thanks, Tom. Uh, next week, well, for next week, we are going to watch Devil, The Devil All the Time, oh, new release yes. on Netflix. Yes. Uh, the Netflix says uh, sinister characters converge around a young man devoted to protecting those he loves in a post-war backwoods town teeming with corruption and brutality. And I tell you what, if that if that description doesn't get the juices flowing, I don't know what will. Thanks, Marco. That sounds good. Um, well, guys, thanks for listening again. Um, this is Three Boys in a Bar. If you do want to like, if you do want, if you do have any comments about the films that we watch, or if you have any recommendations. Um, do reach us. Reach out to us on Instagram at three boys in a bar. That's with the number three. Otherwise, you can email us at Gmail. That is three boys in a bar at gmail dot com with the number three. Thanks very much, Will. Thanks, Marco. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, thanks Tom. And we'll see you guys next week. Hey, thanks for listening to Three Boys in a Bar. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Don't forget you can connect with us on Instagram at Three Boys in a Bar or send us your own whiskey and film recommendations to threeboysinabar at gmail.com. Stay tuned for a spoiler cast if we have one happening this week. Otherwise, we'll catch you next time.
welcome to Three Boys in a Bar, your weekly film and whiskey review podcast. Join us each week as we review a film and a whiskey. You can follow us on Instagram at Three Boys in a Bar, or send us an email with your own film reviews and whiskey recommendations. Three Boys in a Bar at gmail.com. Now, let's get into this week's episode. 